I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Hello, everybody. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about emotional sobriety, what it is, what it has to do with addiction, and why trying to change our behavior without addressing the thoughts and the feelings that are driving the behavior keeps so many of us running laps around the cul-de-sac of stupidity. The solution to all of our problems, not just over-drinking or some other self-defeating behavior, is to shift our perspective of the problem, to ask a different question. That is what I do as a coach. I don't offer advice or hold myself up as someone who has the answers. My superpower is my ability to ask different questions, to point out where you're making assumptions and to ask what else could be true, and then to identify the skills and the strategies that you're gonna need to pursue an alternate ending to choose a new truth, one that gives you purpose and meaning and lifts your heart and motivates you to take action. And the perspective shift I want to examine in this episode about emotional sobriety is what if over-drinking is actually a symptom of perfectionism? What if you're not an alcoholic, you're a perfectionist, and you're using alcohol to manage your feelings? The primary problem is not actually how much you drink. The primary problem is that you're relying on shame as a motivation. If you're anything like I was, you've thought about quitting alcohol on and off for years, especially and mostly after a night of overdoing it. And so because you wake up the next morning and you've got all that anxiety and shame and questioning your judgment and second guessing yourself, but then as the day goes on and you're productive and you're proving your worth once again, sobriety doesn't seem necessary. It feels complicated and overly dramatic, like a punishment you don't deserve. You know, it's not that alcoholism isn't real. It is, but we've updated our understanding of alcoholism. We now refer to overdrinking as alcohol use disorder. And that's a spectrum of dependence from mild dependence to hardcore addiction. And where you're at on that spectrum can change with stress and life circumstances. So it's not a set binary situation where you either have it or you don't. At its core, alcohol use disorder just means that you drink more than you think you should. And most drinkers fall into that category at least once in their lives. And most people are able to self-correct when they realize there's a problem. We have a natural self-correcting mechanism. The problem is there's all this stigma around alcoholism and we try to label people who have over drinking issues as alcoholics where somehow that's separate 
from their use of the substance and it means something about who they are as a person and they have to identify as alcoholics whether or not they have a drink in their hand this mindset this belief has created a stigma that prevented me from asking for help for such a long time and prevents a lot of other people from getting help because they think that in order to identify that they have you know, a problem with alcohol that they're over drinking and maybe are even suffering from an addiction that somehow they then have to accept that they have a personality problem and that this is a lifelong affliction, but it's not, you know, being addicted to alcohol can happen just as easily as being addicted to social media or sugar or energy drinks or any other drug. You know, we go to the doctor and we get Xanax and they say, you know, don't take it too often because, you know, it can lead to addiction or look at the opiate crisis. You know, it's not the person that's the problem. It's the drug that's addictive. And alcohol is exactly the same way. The deeper question is why do we get addicted? What happens there? And on the superficial surface level, the, the more we use any addictive substance or engage in an addictive behavior, the harder it is to not use them. That's the nature of an addictive substance. Our brain chemistry changes and we come to rely on the substance or the behavior to feel normal. We don't drink so much to get high. We drink because if we drink on a regular basis, it feels bad to not drink. So it's a very simple to understand negative feedback loop that we get caught in. What we really want to look at is why we continue to engage in the behavior despite negative consequences. And that is due to the fact that we don't like feeling uncomfortable. And because we're not informed enough about the drug that is alcohol, we misperceive problems with alcohol to be a reflection of who we are as a person and not the drug itself. We perceive the urge to drink when we know we shouldn't or we know we've had too much as a failure or a weakness. And that creates all of these emotions inside of us of shame and frustration and self-loathing. And we continue to drink not because it's so hard to break a dependence or even addiction on alcohol, but because we don't have the skills to resolve those emotions. And alcohol becomes a coping skill to solve the problems that alcohol is creating. It's just a vicious cycle. And that's why if you don't take the time to figure out what's going on with you emotionally, even if you're successful at quitting drinking, you're likely just to end up with another addiction, be it to sugar or to work or, you know, love in, in different relationships, like whatever it is. The problem is not the substance or the even the behavior. The problem is you don't know how to soothe your own emotional discomfort and you're constantly looking for a substance or a behavior of some sort or another person to do it for you. You think something out there is going to make you feel better. And this is why I really struggled in the first year and even into the second year of my sobriety, because I had been operating under the idea that alcohol had been the problem, like so many of us do. So I thought sobriety was the solution. And once I got a month and then three months under my belt, I assumed that I would start 
operating on all cylinders and everything would be great and the life that I wanted would just magically appear. And I was unprepared for the reality that I had so much work to do. I still felt like shit most of that first year. Again, I felt better than I did when I was drinking, but it wasn't the magical solution that I had been thinking. I had been drinking to cover up the fact that I was living out of alignment with myself. And even though in that first year of sobriety, I was like, let's do this, you know, like let, let, let's handle the real problem. I was willing to look at myself and I was willing to take responsibility, but I didn't know how. I didn't have the skills. I didn't know the right questions to ask. Let me stop and explain what my definition is of emotional sobriety. Basically, it is when you stop living according to what you think life should be, and you start accepting life as it is. You learn how to deal with reality instead of always living in the past or living in the future and getting caught up in the stories of what things should or shouldn't be. I teach the concept of awareness as being knowing the difference between what's happening in the real world in the present moment and what's happening in your mind. And learning how to distinguish those between the two is a huge part of the, the skills that I teach. Learning to see what the story is you're telling yourself, what assumptions you're making about it, how you feel about it. Awareness of your own thought processes and how your feelings are influencing your behavior is the crux of emotional sobriety. When you feel uncomfortable or emotionally out of control, if you, like I do, deal with emotional dysregulation, when you learn to ask a different question and stop thinking that whatever's making you upset is out there, it's what somebody said, it's what happened or didn't happen, or that something is wrong or bad, and instead realize that the way you feel is a product of your own thoughts, that's the shift that sets you free. One of the mantras that I teach um, my clients and that I personally use myself, it is my lifeline. The mantra is that whatever's happening out there isn't the problem. Whatever I think is making me upset, that's not the problem. My thoughts and feelings about whatever's happening is the problem. And so emotional sobriety, learning these skills has allowed me to shift from trying to solve problems out there because I think that that's what will make me feel better and instead going directly to the emotional discomfort and dealing with that head on, that is what has allowed me to change who I am at a fundamental level because I'm no longer a victim in my own life. I'm no longer waiting for somebody to give me permission. I'm no longer out of control. You know, the antidote to feeling out of control is to accept control. And that is a radical concept in this culture where we're teaching our children that it's the world's job to make them feel safe. It's a radical act of rebellion to accept 100% responsibility for the way you feel. And the reason it's been so difficult for me to take full responsibility for how I feel is because I was raised to take responsibility for how everybody else feels. I was raised as a good girl. I was raised to care about other people's feelings and that if someone was upset with me, it was my fault. 
and also my job to make it right. I was taught that the only way to feel good about myself is by being approved of and validated by other people. I was told who I should be and how I should feel and how the world should be. I was taught to squelch any emotion that I had that made me or anyone else uncomfortable. We are taught as kids to manage our behaviors so that we are well-liked and approved of by all the people around us. You know, my whole life, I was a fixer, a pleaser, and ultimately that made me a liar because I was always agreeing to things I didn't actually agree with just to keep the peace or over committing to unrealistic expectations that maybe weren't a good fit or were just too much or I just felt like saying no. But I kept saying yes, because that way I could prove that I was strong. I've been trying to prove myself my whole life. And think about that. If you have to prove that you're worthy and productive and nice and lovable, well, what that must mean is that you don't believe that you already are. If you're constantly trying to prove yourself and you fall short with that proof, then that means you're a failure. That's the cycle of perfectionism, by the way. It's the idea that there are things that should be a certain way, which if you really step outside of that particular crazy, like the bar changes on how things should be all the time. So you're constantly chasing this mirage of a perfection that's always moving. And then when you fall short of that, you fall into shame because you can't keep up with an ever-changing illusion of how things should be. Like that's an illusion. There is no should be. There's just what is. And that speaks to the alcohol problem. You know, the problem, reframing it here, is not how much you drink. The problem is that you're trying to argue with or ignore your feelings about how much you drink. You think you're drinking too much and you're trying to argue or prove that you don't instead of just saying, yeah, I'm not feeling good because I'm drinking too much. The moment you realize that you're drinking too much or that you're not happy with the way things are going and you don't do something about it, the problem stops being about alcohol. Now the problem is you're not paying attention and respecting yourself. In fact, you're gaslighting yourself. You're trying to argue that you're crazy to feel like this is a problem. And then you're trying to say how you should feel. And that is why this isn't about the alcohol. And that's also why quitting drinking doesn't solve the problem. Because this isn't about the way you drink. This is about the way you think. Alcohol is not the problem your thoughts and feelings about alcohol are the problem. And it's emotional sobriety that will set you free. We have to stop trying to think our way out of feeling. You know, we try to think our way out of our emotions, gathering proof that we should or shouldn't feel this way or that way. Or we try to get other people to tell us what we want to hear. You know, how many times did I Google, you know, what's an alcoholic or what's the difference between alcohol use disorder and alcoholism? Or, you know, I, I was tr looking for somebody to tell me it wasn't a problem 
and completely ignoring the fact that I thought it was a problem. Why was I doing that? Because I didn't know how to process my feelings about shame or unworthiness or uncertainty about what it would mean if I quit drinking or frustration that I couldn't control it or the fear of, you know, what it means. I didn't know how to process those feelings. So I was trying to outthink them and we can't outthink our feelings. And this is how emotional sobriety as a skill is a complete game changer. Because instead of focusing on how you should feel, you start by accepting how you do feel. And that's a big first step because we attach the way we feel to meaning. If we feel a certain way, then that must mean something about us. We believe our emotions. So many of the women that I work with out there will use comments or will say comments like, I have an anger monster inside of me, or I have a uh, an untapped well of grief or sadness. And they're afraid to deal with their feelings because somehow they think that they're opening Pandora's box and that if they allow themselves to feel that that's going to swallow them whole. But the good news is that your scary and intense emotions are not a sign of underlying dysfunction. There is nothing wrong with you or the way you feel. And so the first step is to stop thinking that your emotions mean anything about you. You know, we give our emotions way too much credit. Our feelings are not facts. So when we feel ashamed or frustrated or hopeless, it's not an objective reflection of us or of our life or of our ability or of the future. Like it's just a feeling. I love, um, one of my favorite analogies is to, uh, to compare emotions to like poop. You know, just because you have diarrhea doesn't mean you're full of shit as a person. It just means like maybe you ate something bad. Maybe you got a virus. Maybe you need some medicine. Like, I don't know. But emotions are the same way. Like, for instance, if you feel hopeless, it just means, and here's the skill, it just means that you have a thought. There's words in your brain that is making you feel hopeless. The thought is what is creating the feelings. Our emotions, our feeling is a felt sense of thought. Like they are one in the same. It's like the words you hear me speak have sound and the thoughts you think have feelings. And so the way you feel is just a reflection of your thoughts. And I think that we get confused because we say feelings aren't facts. Actually, your feelings are the facts that you have to deal with. Really, it's your thoughts that aren't facts. The real step up is to stop believing everything you think. Just because the words appear in your head doesn't make them true. I mean, think about it. If I tell you to repeat mentally, pink elephants rule the world, think it. You just did. Pink elephants rule the world. Doesn't mean it's true. You can think anything you want. We hear stuff all the time and we think, oh, does that make sense? Oh, it kind of does. I guess I'll think that now. And then we just start thinking something different. Like we can change our minds on purpose all the time and our minds change all the time just by being exposed to thoughts and ideas. We tend to think what we hear the most of. 
that's really it. It's not all that complicated. It's like our brains are computers and they're being programmed by your environment. And you have to realize that you have the power and the ability to become aware of the thoughts that you're thinking and choose to think something different. It's not the thought that is the problem. It's how you respond to the thought, whether or not you're willing to call bullshit on the thought. But in order to start questioning your thoughts, you have to start acknowledging your feelings. You have to start noticing your feelings. And we've just conditioned ourselves to avoid our feelings. If we have an uncomfortable feeling, we want to reach for the drink, the snacks, the food, another person. We want to do something to change how we feel. But radical acceptance of our feelings comes with this uh, amazing understanding that our emotions are messengers from our subconscious. They're not telling us what's going on in the outside world. And so now you need to feel bad. If you're feeling bad, it's a message from your inside world. It's what's going on in your subconscious. And noticing that you're having a negative feeling that's uncomfortable is your invitation to go into the subconscious and bring that thought, what is it that's making me feel bad, up into your consciousness. This is how you resolve a feeling. Like if somebody asked me very simply, how do you resolve your feelings? The very simple answer is to figure out what the thought is that's causing the feeling. That's it. Bring the thought into subconscious and then decide how you want to react to it. Do you want to accept it? Do you want to reject it? Do you need to take action in the real world? But the way you resolve your feelings is just to notice them, untangle them, if you will. I like that analogy too. I often tell people that when they come into early sobriety, like picture that junk drawer of cords in your in your kitchen or whatever, and you open it up and it's just filled with cords. Early sobriety, when you're untangling all of your feelings and thoughts, you just have to pull each one out and unravel it and unwind it from all of the other things because we are just a big jumble of chaotic emotions in the beginning. You know, you might start crying because you're doing the dishes and you think your husband should do the dishes and ultimately it's not about the dishes. Stopping and pausing and asking yourself what you're upset and then going deeper, what's this really about? That allows you to bring the thoughts up into your consciousness. And if you don't believe the thoughts are true and instead look at your thoughts with curious curiosity, how do I want to feel? How do I want to react? What needs to happen next? Like this is how you resolve your emotions. So practicing emotional sobriety is simply learning to respond to your feelings first with acceptance, allowing them to be long enough that you can notice them and untangle them from all of the different thoughts and not feeling the feeling and then immediately judging yourself as right or wrong or good or bad or broken or anybody else or life in general. Just recognizing that when you're having an uncomfortable feeling, it's an invitation. You need to stop and process what's going on and this does seem to take a lot of time in early sobriety, but I can also tell you that it's a skill that you can learn to walk, talk, and feel at the same time. And so um, I can give you some steps, you know, a cognitive process so that you can kind of break this down. Um, and I've got five steps for how to practice emotional sobriety. So you can start practicing it on your own. Number one 
is to realize that you're having an emotional reaction. Like notice that your brain is running, get out of your own head, stop telling yourself a story and notice that part of the reason you're telling yourself a story is that you're trying to prove or validate or make sense or justify of something and just stop. Stop thinking and feel. So number one is to realize that emotions are in play here. Um, realize that you're having an emotional reaction. And then number two is to accept that emotion. Don't judge it, just feel it. I find it really helpful to notice the sensations and kind of describe it because it gives my brain something to do, especially when I'm caught up in a story that I want to ruminate on. If I give myself a brain like, hey, what are you feeling right now? And please describe that to me. Then my brain is like, oh, I feel pulsing or I feel heat or I feel emptiness or I feel tightness or I feel pressure or I feel cold or hot. Like giving your brain um, a job to shift out of the story so that you can feel whatever the emotion is, just have your brain describe the feeling. It's a good little project for a busy brain. And then the third step is to identify the thoughts that are causing the feeling. What's the story you're telling yourself? And it doesn't have to be super in depth with this. Just try to boil down three sentences or less what the feeling is, that's step two, and then what thought is causing the feeling. Three sentences or less, big picture, bottom line. And then after you're aware of the story that you're telling yourself and you've now labeled it as a story instead of the truth, ask yourself, is this emotion or is this story serving me? And let me help you with, with something fun here. So, so often we think our stories are true, right? But they're not. And here's a, a good takeaway, put this on a bumper sticker. There's no such thing as a true story. So figuring out that you're stuck in a story is the escape hatch. You may not be ready to have a different story, but if you can realize and put some distance that this isn't something that's happening, this is a story you're telling yourself, and maybe it's a story that other people agree with, and maybe it's an old story, and it's gonna be hard to break. Yeah, that's true. But realizing it's a story and then asking yourself if that story is serving you is the game changer. Because now you know the story is the problem. When you're in the story, you are under the misconception that something out there needs to change. Something out there is going to make us feel better, which is why we spend our whole lives chasing accomplishments and accolades and opinions from other people so that we can feel better. But nothing, not even a damn winning lottery ticket, lets us feel very good very long. And why is that? Because it's not life or other people that are making us feel. It's not external situations and circumstances that are creating our feelings. This is basic anatomy. It's our thoughts and feelings about who we are. It's our thoughts about ourselves in relation to life or other people that make us feel good and bad. 
I mean, think about it. Even when the best things happen, you might feel good for a minute and then suddenly you feel like you don't deserve it or some other stupid story comes up and poof, the good feeling is gone. So if you could have one takeaway from this episode, it's to get it, get the understanding that your feelings are caused by what you think. And then to remember, you can literally think anything you want. You can and do change your mind all the time. And I'll tell you a quick story about this in a minute. But first, I want to finish the fifth thing, the fifth step to practicing emotional sobriety for those of you taking notes. And that is to ask the question, what do I need to feel better right now? Because you're going to have to take action. When you want to change the way you feel, that requires more than just thinking. But notice that the question is, what do I need to feel better right now? So it's not an invitation to go back in your story and say, well, I would feel better if everything was going my way or if I was a better person. It's more about taking care of your body right now in this moment, ministering to your nervous system. What do I need to feel better right now? And 100% chance, the first thing you need to do is quit thinking about your stupid story and to do something that feels healthy and maybe even distraction. Distraction is a healthy coping skill when it's used correctly. But, you know, moving your brain into a different thought process so that you can maybe get some perspective, allow your nervous system to calm down. So asking what do I need to feel better right now, it's not about the story. It's about your body in this moment. But I do want to share a story about emotional sobriety and let you see how it can radically change the your point of view, shift your perspective. Um, so, and I'll just use my business as an example. I am a solopreneur. I am running my own business. I have two full-time employees. I am publishing a podcast and creating programs and selling coaching packages and running group programs and working with people. And I absolutely love it, but it is a business and it's also a freaking roller coaster. Okay. And I can feel so high, like, you know, I can get off a coaching call, which I love coaching. It always makes me feel good. And so I can feel so high because I truly helped someone you know, turn a corner, make a transformation. We had a a group aha movement or whatever, you know, or I can record this podcast and work on it and I'm happy with it. And I can feel so high, like buzzing. I, I can be buzzing with how good it feels to do what I do. And then on another day or in another five minutes, I can be completely low. You know, maybe there's a, a troll commenting on a post I made, or I've got technical problems, or I get an unexpected expense, you know, or I'm putting out a webinar and people aren't signing up for some reason. And so it makes me feel bad. This solopreneurship of, you know, being a digital provider of, coaching services is hard. And I have realized that neither the highs or the lows are serving me. And I've realized that I've been chasing the highs because duh, I like to feel, you know, like a rock star, like I'm killing it. But 
by continuing to pursue those emotional highs, I got to pay the price. I also have to experience the lows. And if you know anything about emotional dysregulation, you know emotional lows can be paralyzing. And what's what's been interesting and radically eye-opening is that recently I noticed that the buzzing that I feel um, when I feel really good, you know, I have a new idea or I get off a call and I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna, this is gonna work. This is this is what I'm doing. When when I'm literally buzzing, the sensations inside my body are actually really similar when I'm high or when I'm low. Like I still have a stomach ache and I'll either lose my appetite or I'll want to eat everything down because you know I'm probably trying to eat my emotions. But that can happen when I'm high or I'm low. And either way, if I'm on a high or a low, I can't focus. I can't stay present at work. I can't have a conversation because I'm distracted in my brain. I can't shut it off so I can't go to sleep. And I'm just bouncing all over like a hot mess. And so I've realized kind of next level emotional sobriety that I actually also have to let go of those highs. And so I've reframed my entire purpose of who I am and what I'm doing. Um, You know, and this is just for me, not actually my business. But I no longer think that building my business will help me to feel confident and stable and proud of myself. That's what was generating the highs and lows, that belief that, that I have to be successful in my business in order to feel confident and stable and proud. So I was attaching my, the ownership of my feelings to something outside of my control. I mean, bottom line, I can't control in this moment how, what the state of my business is. It just is what it is, not what it should be. And what was happening is I'm being jerked around by what it should be, both positive and negative. Like it should be this and I'm killing it and it's amazing and that would send me high. Or I would think that it shouldn't be, you know, I should have more business or this ad should be doing better or whatever. And then that would send me really low. So I no longer think that building my coaching business is going to help me feel better. Instead, I think that focusing first on feeling confident and stable and proud of myself, regardless of what happens at work, is actually how I'm going to build my coaching business. So do you see how I reframed that? I was thinking that building a coaching business would help me feel confident and stable and proud, And now I've switched what I think because I can think whatever I want, right? And this thought that I, that feeling confident and proud and, and stable, those three things that feeling that way first is what will build my business. So now I have a different problem to solve. So back full circle to the beginning of the podcast, I told you that the solution to any problem is to ask a different question. So now instead of my problem being building a coaching business, my problem is learning how to feel confident and stable and proud of myself regardless of what happens. My real problem is mastering emotional sobriety. That feels like a solid plan 
because every single day when I get up, I cannot control the outcomes of my effort, but I can control my reactions. That is freedom. That is a game changer. And so what this has evolved into is that I'm using my life as a training ground for learning how to manage my emotions. That's my primary focus right now. And everything that happens to me is an opportunity for me to practice. So instead of getting caught up in the story about what is or isn't happening in my business, I'm now focused on a different story because we live in stories. You can't not have a story, but I'm now focused on a different story where the ultimate goal is for me to be emotionally sober, to deal with life as it is instead of how it should be, to practice self-compassion for myself, to say kind things to myself so that I feel confident, stable, and proud of who I am because of the person I am, not because of the results that I produce. And that, my friends, shows the power of coaching because the solution to any problem is to ask a different question, to shift your perspective, and to change how you are responding. This type of self-coaching is the work that I do and teach in the next chapter. If you don't know, the next chapter is my 12-week group coaching peer mastermind program for women who are ready to get the skills and the strategies that restore their confidence so they know how to trust themselves again. And the foundation of what I teach is this concept of emotional sobriety, how to take full responsibility for everything you think and feel so that you can change your relationship with yourself, which is the upstream problem. You know, focusing on sobriety or focusing on whatever other behavior it is that you want to change and not addressing the thoughts and feelings that are creating the behavior is the equivalent of continuing to mop the water up around the bathtub and not shutting off the faucet. I can teach you how to change the way you think, how to change the way you relate to your emotions so that your emotions become your most powerful tool instead of your Achilles heel. So click the link in the show notes if you're interested and book a discovery call with me via that link uh, so that we can talk about if it's a good fit and if you're ready to get started. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.